maybe by Mary Oliver. Sweet Jesus, talking his melancholy madness, stood up in the boat, and the sea lay down, silky and sorry. So everybody was saved that night. But you know how it is. When something different crosses the threshold, the uncles mutter together. The women walk away. The young brother begins to sharpen his knife. Nobody knows what the soul is. It comes and goes like wind over the water. Sometimes for days, you don't think of it. Maybe after the sermon, after the multitude was fed, one or two of them felt the soul slip forth like a tremor of pure sunlight before exhaustion that wants to swallow everything, gripped their bones and left them miserable and sleepy as they are now, forgetting how the wind tore at the sails before he rose and talked to it, tender and luminous and demanding as he always was, a thousand times more frightening than the killer storm. But you know how it is when something different crosses the threshold. It's been over two millenniums since that something different crossed the threshold. And today, on this Christ the King Sunday, or Reign of Christ Sunday, we're confronted with that something different once again. I've been in church my whole life, and I am a person who gets bored really easily. <laughs> so once I kind of figure something out, I'm on to the next thing. But I have to tell you that, that even after all of these years of rotating through the birth and the baptism and the, the teachings and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, there's still something different about it that crosses the threshold of my own life. And I become aware over and over of how vital this story, how vital the presence of Jesus is in our world. Jesus is still challenging the way things are, inviting our souls to slip forth, like Mary Oliver said, showing up as tender and luminous and demanding. Let's pray. Oh God, save us from the habit that so many of us have had of looking at Jesus so much that we, and so often and for so long that we can no longer see and no longer feel that presence that invites us to go deeper. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O oh God, our rock 
and our Redeemer. Amen. I spent Thanksgiving this year in the woods of Vermont next to a lake called Fairley Lake. It was my first time in Vermont, my first time in the Northeast, and my first New England Thanksgiving. And it also happened to be the coldest Thanksgiving on record in New England. So thankfully, I still have all my clothes from Oregon because uh, I had my warm undershirt and wool sweater. And uh, usually, I like to go on a long walk on Thanksgiving to kind of either get ready or recover from the meal. But uh, I have to say, this year, the walk was very brisk and biting in the one-degree temperature. As we walked from the house where we were staying with our friends down to the lake, uh, to see the lake, and I literally could not feel my legs by the time we got uh, to the lake. But it was a little warmer there, and there wasn't a, a breeze, and the sun was shining, so Chris and I stayed there with our friend Dane, and we're talking a little bit, and as we're sitting there talking about the lake and how this area is a summer camp, place for summer camp, and kids from all over the Northeast come to this place to go to camp in the summer, this man strode up who looked like straight out of whatever stereotype you may have of Vermonters. It was this guy. He was like tall and big and he was wearing boots and jeans and this big heavy jacket and he had one of those hats that you know has the flaps down his cheeks and this big bushy beard and and he was there to, to get into this little rowboat and to row out to save a boat that someone had left in the middle of the lake and try to get it out of the lake before the lake froze over so the boat wouldn't uh, get completely destroyed by the ice. And his name was Brian. And Brian's entire career, he told us, in the last 40 years has been taking people up in hot air balloons from this little airport that he owns right there in the town of West Fairley. So he's this adventurous guy, but he also, you know, loves to, to make something out of nothing. He went and he bought those big, you know, orange buckets from Home Depot and filled them up and, um, and had made a floating barbecue and picnic table that he took out all over the lake all during the summer. He said, I only spent $300 on the whole thing. Um, and so he's just one of those people that just can make something out of nothing and loves to tinker, really. And uh, so my friend Dane um, loves to swim in the lake in the summer, not recommended in the winter. Uh, and he said to uh, Brian, he said, hey, is that your house over there with the dock? And Brian said, yeah. And he said, would it be okay with you? Is it okay with you if I swim out to that dock in the summer? And Brian said, oh, yeah, you know, you can, you can swim out there anytime you want. And he said, I'm going to tell you the story about the, this dock. Is It used to belong to the summer camp, and it was put there in 1916. And for 100 years, people were jumping off that dock, kids were jumping off that dock at summer camp into the lake. And uh, he said, so a couple of years ago, I'm, you know, watching the road, and I see this new dock go by. And I'm thinking, well, they must be replacing the old dock. And a few minutes later, he sees the old dock go back the other direction. And so he said, you know, I figured it was lunchtime, so I was going to wait until after lunch. But then I called the guys up, 
at the yard where I figured that they had taken the old dock, and I said, you know, what are you doing with the old dock? And he said, well, we're just about to turn it into scrap and to take dismantle it. And he's like, I want the dock. So Brian goes to the yard, and the, they let him have the space uh, to, and gave them their equipment, and he spent a couple of weeks sanding off the old dock and, and repainting it. And then they, for free, brought it to his house and put it out by his house, where um, now he's got this great dock by his house. And so he told our friend Dane, you know, you, you can swim there all the time, and then he said, you know, I have a sign there that says anyone's welcome to swim. But he said, the thing is that when you put up a sign, everyone thinks the sign says, don't come here and no trespassing. <laughs> so I have this problem that people want to, you know, I want people to use it. I want it to continue to be part of this lake's history and fun. But, but no one knows that the sign actually says, come on, swim from my dock. And as soon as he heard that, I thought, you know, that dock kind of reminds me of Jesus. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about the sermon on Thanksgiving, just so you know. You may have thought I was on vacation, but... Um. <laughs> so Jesus is a little bit, I think, like Brian's dock. Jesus is a place to land. Jesus is a place to jump off from. Jesus is a reference point. But the problem is, is that from a distance, when people look at Jesus and they look at the church and they look at faith, and they, they think that there's a sign on it. They see the sign. They see the sign when they drive down Portola Road. They think it says, no trespassing. Don't jump from this dock. This isn't for you. And I think we all allow ourselves to, to, to put Jesus a little bit at a, at a distance. And we're a little bit frightened to get close because we're not sure exactly if we're supposed to be there. We're not sure what's going to happen to us if we go there. And yet, what, what the invitation is, is that this is a safe place. This is a place from which you can jump off and enjoy the world. This is a place that's a reference point for you. This is the place you can swim when you're getting tired and you don't know where to go. Christ offers us that kind of space. And Jesus was always asking people to consider, to consider him to consider who he was, to actually listen to what he was saying, to not just make assumptions across the lake, but to actually swim out and find out what the sign says. And our passage today is this kind of encounter. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's been arrested by the religious authorities. And when his disciple Peter tried to defend him and cut off the, the ear of one of the guards, Jesus says, no, that's not what we're about. And he puts the ear back on and heals this guy right then and there. And they take him away and they put him through all of these questions. And the religious authorities are so frustrated because they can't get to him because he really is without defenses. They're so disarmed by his defenselessness, by his refusal to fight back. And so then they take him to Pilate, to the Roman governor, and they expect Pilate to make a decision and absolve them of any responsibility they might have for killing Jesus. And Pilate asks Jesus if he is the king of the Jews. And Jesus asks Pilate to make up his own mind. 
He says, is that your idea? Or did others talk to you about me? And Pilate replies, am I a Jew? In other words, this ain't my conversation, dude. Like, I'm not a part of this. But Jesus takes it beyond these tribal and national entities and says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest from the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Here's the crux, I think, of this text. His kingdom is from another place. It's not the way we usually think of kingdom. It's not the assumptions we make when we look at it. Philosopher René Girard, a French philosopher, said that our human history is full of a history of violence that is a result of scapegoating. In a very simplified form, he says, we try to strengthen and bolster our collective and individual identities by scapegoating and pointing at others and making them the problem instead of dealing with the roots of our lives. We imitate each other in this violence, in this scapegoating, over and over. I mean, you can see it, right? Someone hurts you, the first thing you want to do is hurt them back. One country attacks, the rhetoric comes back. It, it's on the most micro level and on the biggest levels, where we're, we're constantly trying to make another person the problem. And we imitate the, each other over and over, trying to strengthen ourselves. And Girard says this keeps us in cycles of violence and locked up in our suffering and pain. He says, Jesus would not be astonished that his teaching is not recognized today. Jesus has no illusion about the way in which his message will be received. To the glory that comes from God, invisible in this world, the majority prefer the glory that comes from humankind. A glory that multiplies scandal as it makes its way. It consists in gaining victory in mimetic, this imitation, rivalries, often organized by the powers of this world. Rivalries that are political, economic, athletic, sexual, artistic, intellectual and even religious. Jesus proclaimed a different kingdom. It's a kingdom that doesn't scapegoat. It's a kingdom that doesn't react in violence. It's a kingdom that refuses to be defensive. It's a kingdom that, that doesn't have to be right. It's a kingdom that isn't binary, this or that, you or me. It refuses to make another person into someone other than me. It's not about winning or being right. This kingdom invites us to do the most difficult thing, to lay down our separateness, because we are addicted to our separateness. We want to compare and judge and prove ourselves worthy and superior and successful in any way possible. Jesus, in this moment, in the great halls of power with Pilate, refuses to do that. In proclaiming this kingdom, Jesus was a threat to our separateness and separateness of all kind, to empire, a threat to religion, a threat to anything or anyone that demands that it wins. And ironically, this is what so many people have assumed that Christianity is all about. 
that it's about being right, that it's about having all the answers, that it's about winning. Richard Rohr says that we must return to religion as the word is actually defined. Religio. To rebind, to re-ligament us together. He says, religion is not doing its job if it only reminds you of your distance, your unworthiness, your sinfulness, and your inadequacy before God's greatness. It's not our rule-following behavior, but our actual identity that needs to be radically changed. Saying that Christ is king and starting a new cycle of our calendar again reminds us that it's time to swim to the dock. It's time to swim and rediscover a new way to see the world, a different way to be, to find our identity is in Christ, in God. It's time for us to read again the signs that are actually posted on Jesus. Signs like you are the beloved child of God. Grace is the water in which you swim. Your soul is invited to slip forth into a space of unconditional love. You can lay down your defensive reactions and grow into love, into who you're created to be. You can love your neighbor as yourself. You are invited to go deeper into union with God in which you discover who you truly are. And when we do that, we refuse the commonly accepted reality that violence and scapegoating and division are just the way things are. We live in a kingdom that is about union and about peace. Maybe after the sermon, after the multitude was fed, one or two of them felt the soul slip forth like a tremor of pure sunlight. Maybe they remembered how the wind tore at the sails before he rose and talked to it, tender and luminous and demanding, as he always was, a thousand times more frightening than the sea. Darlene is going to lead us in a song in the next few moments. Um, it's number 203, so I invite you to turn to that as we prepare to respond.